Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Sam. And this week we are doing our final deep dive into the Order of the Phoenix book, which is insane. I feel like it's been so long since we've even talked about this. I know. I was like, wow, okay, finally wrapping it up this week. But to correlate with this episode, we are drinking our drink of the week, which is called the Department of Mysteries. So it is comprised of one ounce of gin, half ounce of blue curacao, and I feel confident that I said that correctly this time, (laughs) of lemon wedge, three ounces of champagne, and then you can garnish it if you wish with silver powder, and it is best served in a champagne flute. So what you do is you fill a shaker with ice, and then you add the gin and the curacao and shake it up. Then you squeeze the lemon wedge in, and then you stir it and strain it into a champagne flute. And um, yeah, it is very bubbly. The one thing that I think that maybe I would change about this drink is the gin. Just because it, it it's just a bitterness that for some reason for me, I feel like it would be better with this a sweetness than a bitterness. Yeah, I kind of like the gin though in this because it kind of gives it a punch, which I think... It being it's, a department it, it gives of it mysteries. a mysterious vibe. Right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Like, hmm, what is that? Except I would be doing that about the silver powder and be like, um, what is that? Should we be eating that? That doesn't look like it's edible. <laughs> but yeah, it's good, and it's a nice cocktail to go along with this. kind of reminds me of a little Orby thing, yeah. like a yeah, prophecy. That, yeah, that was what we were going for here. But it's really cute, and I... I kind of like it. It is very bubbly. If you're not a fan of champagne, you won't like this drink. The one thing about champagne is once you open it, you have to finish it. Right. It's not three ounces of champagne that you're drinking. It is a bottle. Hopefully you have someone to split it with you. I do not. (laughs) So I am drinking a bottle of champagne. (laughs) Otherwise, it's just a waste. True. True. Okay. Alrighty. Well, let's get into our poll results. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, which would you rather join, the original Order of the Phoenix or Dumbledore's Army? And this was the first time, really, that all of our results across the three platforms were extremely similar. Hmm. Like, almost the same. So on Facebook, 40% said Order of the Phoenix, and 60% said Dumbledore's Army. On Instagram, it was 42%. Order of the Phoenix, 58% Dumbledore's Army. And on Twitter, it was 36% Order of the Phoenix and 64% Dumbledore's Army. So that's kind of cool. That's never happened before. So yeah, everyone's on the same page, it seems like. I think because most of us probably read this series as a kid, um, you identify more with Harry, I guess, and saw him more as a leader than others. And What's your, what did what was your answer? Honestly, I think I'd rather be part of the original Order of the Phoenix. Okay, because okay, yeah, that was mine, and I think for me, it's I'm just such an old soul that I feel yeah. like 
I just want to know them so badly. I want to know those people that everyone else like admires and misses and looks up to. And I think it would be so badass to be there with like Dumbledore and McGonagall and Sirius and James and Lily and everybody at the founding moment of it. Um, but I guess if you're in, in Dumbledore's army, you are also sort of a part of the original Order of the Phoenix with those remaining members. So you kind of get both worlds. Not the best of, but you do get both worlds. So I definitely see Dumbledore's army as being, you know, very enticing, especially because you have Harry and all of them. But for some reason, I just feel pulled to Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, same. I think it's a lot along the lines of what you said but also like just being able to fight along all these heroes in their prime I think would have just been awesome plus you know I don't know I I really think maybe it's because we know a lot more about the DA right and having that like component of mystery of oh like what could you learn about the marauders and what could you learn about the long bottoms right it's like if we were in the order of the phoenix we'd get like the the prequels that we've been (laughs) right 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 so i don't know and i also think i mean we're already pretty much led by dumbledore right even in this book where he's like trying not to play a hand he's still doing it And I think just having him directly be your leader in Order of the Phoenix versus Harry, who I adore, and I think he is a fantastic teacher, I also just think at that point, like, I'd prefer Dumbledore, I guess. But, and I wouldn't have to, like, deal with Umbridge, so that would be nice. (laughs) But, yeah. All right. All right, well, let's jump in, because a lot happened. Speaking of her... Yeah, let's jump in. Um, so we'll pick back up after chapter 29. Harry just talked to Sirius in Umbridge's fireplace, and Fred and George made their exit out of Hogwarts and told Peeves to give Umbridge hell. Yes. So chapter 30 starts and it's titled Grop, which, to be honest with you, not my favorite chapter. Honestly, it's, it's pretty there- underwhelming. It's up there with Hagrid's tale for me, and I'm not like I don't have a pit about Hagrid. It's just it, it's just not exciting for me. I will say this: um, I think this is the first and maybe perhaps only time you'll ever hear me say this because I'm such like a loyal book person. The end of Order of the Phoenix, I think the way they did it in the film was a lot more exciting than the way they did it in the book if you will like they did a very very good job of turning like like you said this is sort of underwhelming and doesn't like really do it for me like them meeting Grop I like how they do it in the films I like that it's the golden trio even though it's only Harry and Hermione in the book and I I think it's more visually exciting but we'll get to that Um, more I guess next week but yeah I don't know I feel like I kind of have to like this chapter I don't like it is what it is with this chapter, but I put off reading this last third portion, whatever, of this book because for me, the last probably eight or seven chapters of Order of the Phoenix, I sit down and I read all at once because I can't stop reading once well, I, I get think to it's a exciting. Point. I think it's exciting. I'm not saying that. I just think the way that they produced this last part of the movie. I think it was very, very, very strong, especially compared to the beginning of the film. But 
don't know. I, I think it's just a testament to how much they are trying to pay homage to the film and make it, or the book, sorry, and make it the best that it could possibly be. But anyway, we're jumping in. Um, so Fred and George are celebrities at Hogwarts, and everyone is very much trying to, like, live in the moment now and kind of one-up each other to be, like, the head mischief maker of Hogwarts. Right, right. Which is causing quite the trouble for Umbridge. Which no one really seems in a hurry to help her solve, especially the professors. Right. The only person who's willing to help her is Filch. And my first comment is, so (laughs) Fred and George create this swamp, right, before they leave. And then Filch has to punt people down the hallway to get them to class. And I think as a... As a kid, I just imagined him, like, literally punting them down the hallway. So I did some research on that because I was like, that can't be right. There has to be something different. And he actually was, like, boating them across. Oh. Yeah. So I think it's just, like, a th- a different thing. I see. Yeah. But when you first read um, it, you're like, Yeah, I okay. literally thought he was just, like, dropping them and kicking them. <laughs> no. He, <laughs> he actually has to, like sail them across the swamp. That's slightly less entertaining, but probably more ethical. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my first comment was when Hermione is kind of back on Harry about going to acclumency lessons, and it's kind of when Fred and George's dramatic departure has died down and everyone has stopped talking about that. Now the heat back is back on Harry when Hermione is turning back to him and um, kind of asking him what he's been doing, and he kind of um, doesn't really want to talk to it and says that he hasn't really been having the dreams anymore. And then Hermione's like, you can't tell me you've stopped having funny dreams because Ron told me you were muttering your sleep again last night. And on page 601, he kind of comes out, he admits in his inner monologue, what we've kind of been saying from the beginning, that the truth is he's so intensely curious about what was hidden in the room full of dusty orbs that he was quite keen for the dreams to continue. So basically, he's his own downfall. Like, he doesn't want to practice acclimacy because he wants to find out just as bad as Voldemort, or Voldemort already knows, but he wants to find out what's in that dream, so he doesn't want to block his mind. So he's basically the cause of his own grief at the end of this book in my opinion yeah for sure he's definitely his curiosity i think is his downfall a lot of the time especially in this situation but then we transition into a quidditch match and ron is super nervous as always but you know hermione thinks he'll actually he'll actually play better since the twins won't be there i think she has a good point about that So Hagrid comes to get them at the Quidditch match because he thinks that's a good opportunity since no one will really be paying attention to them. And he takes them into the forest where we run into the centaurs who at this point have an issue with any other creature, especially humans, from being in the forest because they feel betrayed by friends. And there are a lot of... There's just a lot of tension building between them and humans at this point. There's a lot of bad blood right now. Yeah, it's not a good look. Um, And then (laughs) Hagrid introduces them to Grop. And he he's... This is one of my favorite Hagrid lines because it kind of just shows how out to lunch he is 
and how dedicated to magical creatures he is. They're all bullying him, Hermione, because he's so small, said Hagrid. Small, said Hermione. Small? Hermione, I couldn't leave him, said Hagrid, tears now trickling down his bruised face into his beard. See, he's my brother. So it's kind of nice that he has a family member now. I agree with you. It is kind of like it doesn't really do it for me. But, I mean, it's nice that Hagrid has, like, part of his family back in a way because he hasn't had family since he was, like, a child. I mean, yeah, but he took him against his will. Like, Grop didn't want to come with him. He is captured. He is an indentured, basically, pet for Hagrid. And, I mean, yeah, towards the end, we see that he is looking for Hagger, and he wants Hagger. But it, it's just it's just an added unnecessary stressor that I... I just was like, really? We have to deal with this now, too? This is so extra. Sorry <laughs> to be that, but we don't need this right now, Hagrid. How how are you doing? This This is selfish. So, I don't know. I just, ugh, I just couldn't with that. But yeah, so Hagrid basically is saying, I'm probably going to get the can here one of these days pretty soon, and someone's going to have to take care of Grub and teach him English and he basically has Harry and Hermione promise that they will teach or try their best to teach Grop English. That's just insanity. Adding another thing to their plate because that's exactly what they need. Why not? We have our OWLs next week, but sure, that sounds like the top of my priority Harry's the chosen one, but yeah, okay. (laughs) Give him one more fucking thing he has to do. Voldemort might be controlling his brain, but, (laughs) you know, teaching... And ogre English is more important than survival, really. <laughs> anyway, so then they're headed back to the pitch, and Weasley is our king sounds a bit different. Yes. And um, they don't notice it at first, but I love that it's there because you notice it reading, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, something's changing. And then Harry finally, finally hears it, and he mentions, like, he calls it to Hermione's attention, and... Ron is just so excited to see them. He's like, we did it. We won. Because they won the cup. He's so excited. And then he realizes, because they tell him, oh, well, we weren't there. Sorry. So, like, Ron's one moment of, like, shining glory that he's had (laughs) and his two most important people missed it because of Hagrid. Yeah. And then they have to tell them now what they have to do. And it's just, like, added on to the defeat my best friends weren't there, and now we have another Hagrid creature situation, right. which is a giant. Sorry, I said ogre earlier, and I knew someone was going to come at me with that, and that was a mistake. Giant. <laughs> but it's, the department of, de- department. it's the Department of Mysteries talking, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. But then the OWL startup. And this for real gave me test anxiety. I had the recurring dream that I missed an exam during this chapter. This definitely brought back some PTSD that I didn't know that I had, like, within myself. And a lot of anxiety and stress for them. Because I can't even... Could you imagine, like, it was stressful enough in school to have a final exam? Or could you imagine of having an exam that covers everything you've just learned over the past five years? Right, did they not have any tests before that? Like, I would literally come... They did, they had finals every single year. Like, I don't understand why you need a cumulative five years. Oh my gosh, I would be so stressed out. 
I mean, I guess you could make a case that the ACT or the SAT is like a cumulative thing of what you've learned in high school up to that point. I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of different math, like geometry, algebra. There's not calculus on it, I don't think. But there's, you know, it's sort of cumulative, but... I don't know. It, it just seems a lot. It just is a lot to the point where they actually have wizarding Adderall, um, which I thought was interesting. On page 708, they have the brain elixir that someone was trying to trick them into buying and then also <laughs> a powdered dragon claw. But anyway, so they are stressed about all of the OWLs. My personal favorite OWL that they took was the Defense Against the Dark Arts because Umbridge is standing there like just so mad watching Harry because clearly Harry's going to thrive. That's his bread and butter. And right. she's just so pissed that he's doing so well on that. Right. And it's clear that he didn't learn that from the textbooks that they've just been copying all right. semester. Right. But then we get to a different OWL, the astronomy OWL. They're practical where they had to go up and look through the telescopes at night and that's when we see Hagrid pretty much get kicked out of Hogwarts and he's like I'm not gonna go and McGonagall tries to come to his aid and these bitches I forgot about this and remembered while I was rereading that McGonagall got sent to St. Mungo's because Umbridge had four different ministry officials strike McGonagall yeah at the same time four straight in the chest to the to the fucking chest like <sighs> a queen that she even lived through Ooh, that. i had to get up and walk away i was like you dare the audacity <laughs> of this bitch exactly she Ugh. yeah she's honestly at this point just out of control she's blaming hagrid for putting nifflers into her office even though someone was putting them in there we learn later it's lee jordan while she was like while hagrid was teaching so the whole thing's just fucked up. It was clearly just because she hated part humans and wanted him out and had it from had it out for him from the get. But Yeah. Yeah, I I really hate that one as well. And then we get to another OWL. <laughs> and, Very eventful. And Harry honestly lives out my nightmare. My recurring nightmare. Harry kind of falls asleep. <laughs> And has this dream where he actually, this is where he sees Sirius being tortured in the Department of Mysteries. Where Voldemort comes inside of his mind and makes him see this. Yes. And, okay, I'm just going to have to read it because I can't even, like, talk about it. So, you'll have to kill me, whispered Sirius. Undoubtedly I shall in the end, said the cold voice. But you will fetch it for me first, Black. You think you felt pain this far? Think again. We have hours ahead of us and nobody to hear you scream. But somebody screamed as Voldemort lowered his wand again. Somebody yelled and fell sideways off a hot desk onto the cold stone floor. Harry hit the ground and awoke, still yelling, his scar on fire, and the great hall erupted all around him. So, like, honestly, this is my nightmare of, like, falling asleep in class and then, like, falling onto the ground. But, like, I, <laughs> at this point... You know, after reading this book so many times and knowing what's going to happen, even the wording in this, it's very obvious that Voldemort knows about the connection and this actually isn't happening with a 
we're hours we have hours ahead of us and nobody to hear you scream like it as a reader right. now it's like it's obvious right 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 it's like smacking and it's exactly you in the face. what everyone was afraid of happening how right. what and oh, i have i just have so many feelings about <laughs> this so obviously harry is freaking the fuck out about this as we all know and understand but so harry's like we literally have to go save him right now we have to drop are you are you crazy we can't wait for other people to get back we can't wait for dumbledore we have to go say you don't understand sirius is being tortured right now and i think hermione is just spot on again yeah with her analysis of, of harry here when on six forty six she says Look, I'm sorry, Harry, cried Hermione, but neither of you is making any sense. We've got no proof for any of this. No proof Voldemort and Sirius are even there. Hermione, Harry's seen them, said Ron, rounding on her. Okay, she said, looking frightened yet determined. I've just got to say this. What? You, this isn't a criticism, criticism, Harry, but you do sort of, I mean, don't you think you've got a bit of a, a saving people thing, she said? He glared at her. And what's that supposed to mean, a saving people think? Well, you... She looked more apprehensive than ever. I mean, last year, for instance, in the lake, during the tournament. You shouldn't have. I mean, you didn't need to save that little Delacour girl. You got a bit carried away. A wave of hot, prickly anger swept through Harry's body. How could she remind him of that blunder now? I mean, it was really great of you and everything, said Hermione quickly, looking positively petrified at the look of Harry's face. Everyone thought it was a wonderful thing to do. That's funny, said Harry in a trembling voice, because I definitely remember Ron saying I'd waste time acting the hero. Is that what you think this is? You reckon I want to act the hero again? No, 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 said Hermione, looking aghast. That's not what I meant at all. Well, spit it out. What you've got to say, because we're wasting time here, Harry shouted. I'm trying to say, Voldemort knows you, Harry. He took Ginny down into the Chamber of Secrets to lure you there. It's kind of the thing he does. He knows you're the the sort of person who'd go to Sirius's aid. What if he's just trying to get you into the department of Miss... Hermione, it doesn't matter if he's he's done it to get me there or not. They've taken McGonagall to St. Mungo's. There isn't anyone from the Order left at Hogwarts who we can tell. If we don't go, Sirius is dead. But all that being said... Hermione is spot on. She literally hit the nail on the head. That is what is happening. He's just trying to lure Harry there. And if Harry could just like take a chill pill and listen to Hermione, the situation might have been different. And I also want to point out that on page 756 is way jumping ahead, but we're reminded that Sirius gave Harry a mirror, a two-way mirror, that Harry could look at him any single time he wanted to see him and Sirius would appear there. And Harry, forgetful as he is, forgot about this mirror. Yeah, he didn't even read the damn note. He literally, if he would have just paid attention to that, would have never even had to use Yeah. And I also feel like, you know, Sirius could have been like, hey, why don't you use the mirror next time? Right. Come on, bro. Right. I mean, I, after Hermione says this, and again, yeah, I think she's completely spot on. And honestly, Harry really needs to start fucking listening to Hermione. She's the brightest witch of her age. She keeps them on their toes and grounded at the same time. But then, like, we get a sassy Harry eruption. Like, it's not even sassy yeah. Harry that we get. We just get... He's just so no, fucking hateful. it's just hateful. angry. He's it's so hateful. Harry. And at yeah. this point, it's... And I really hate to say this because I do have to keep reminding myself in this moment that he is 15 years old. But the way he talks to his friends in this book, and especially, like, in this chapter and in the chapters to come and then when he talks to Dumbledore in his office don't even get me started on that oh my but gosh he is so disrespectful 
it's insane. He is. And the he fact that they like just he's better than everybody all the time. Yeah. And it's he's like, just... um, well, you I've seen it. Like I know better than you. All this stuff. Like she's just pointing out the obvious. First of all, you didn't even try in occlumency. Second of all, Voldemort knows you. This is not the first time that this has happened. Like you've now battled him four times. Like. Yeah, it's a pattern at this point. Him using your weaknesses against you. Right, right. So you and then might he like wake the fuck up and learn. Turns on poor Ginny, and she of course oh, but like she does not gives it right back it. to him, which is she why is they are equal. Not gonna put up with his sassafras. She raises her eyebrows. At <laughs> She's like, okay. I can just picture it. There's no need to take that tone with me. <laughs> yeah, she channels her inner mother like she is a small molly weasley like absolutely not but then they agree to create a diversion so that harry can try try to call sirius through the flu network and this is just fucking stupid again they really don't think that she has like some kind of security system and you're honestly putting the entire order at risk by doing this but anyway so creature answers and he is clearly like, not being helpful to Harry. So Harry's like, where's Sirius creature? Harry demanded. The house elf gave a wheezy chuckle. Master has gone out, Harry Potter. Where's he gone? Where's he gone, creature? Creature merely cackled. I'm warning you, said Harry, fully aware that his scope for inflicting punishment upon creature was almost non-existent in this position. What about Lupin? Mad-Eye? Any of them? Are any of them here? Nobody here but Creature, said the elf gleefully, and turning away from Harry, he began to walk slowly toward the door at the end of the kitchen. Creature thinks he will now have a little chat with his mistress. Yes, he hasn't had a chance in a long time. Creature's master has been keeping him away from her. Where has Sirius gone? Harry yelled after the elf. Creature, has he gone to the Department of Mysteries? Creature stopped in his tracks. Harry could just make out the back of his bald head through the forest of chair legs before him master does not tell poor creature where he is going said the elf quietly but you know shouted harry don't you you know where he is there was a moment of silence and the elf let out the loudest cackle yet master will not come back from the department of mysteries he said gleefully creature and his mistress are alone again Mm. so This whole situation we find out later, and we'll just talk about it now because whatever. So, Creature had been being a double agent and um, talking to Narcissa, who was also part of the Black family tree. And so he was working with the Malfoys in this situation. And really, his orders from them were to make Harry go to the Department of Mysteries. Right. He was part of the trap falling into place. Right. If they... They suspected that Harry would want to check or somebody would have the intellect checked before they just went jumping off to the Department of Mysteries. But the uh, the little chat with Creature gets caught short because Umbridge comes and grabs Harry and uh, pulls him out of her fire. And when Harry gets out, he sees that not only are Hermione, Ron, Ginny, and Luna all kind of captured by the inquisitorial squad, but also somehow Neville got roped into it. <laughs> Poor Neville. And he's, like, bleeding. He's like, what the fuck, Neville? <laughs> so basically, Umbridge is threatening them with all sorts of things, and she has someone go and get Professor Snape. He says that he used the last of the Veritas serum interrogating Harry, and Harry tries to send a coded message 
to Snape by saying, he's got Padfoot in the place that it's hidden. And Snape, like Snape always does, acts like Harry is a complete idiot and has no idea I what have he's talking about. no idea. No idea. And um, Hermione, being the genius that she is, comes up with a sort of diversion plot to get out of this situation and to also get rid of Umbridge all in one. So she basically saying, we've got to tell her about it, Harry. We've got to tell her about the weapon. And and Harry's like, the fuck, bitch? Like, no. He's like, I am really bad at acting. I don't know how to play along with this, but we'll go with it. And this is, of course, what Umbridge has been waiting to hear this entire time, that there is some sort of weapon that Dumbledore is planning to use against Fudge in the Ministry. Right. So she's basically, like, chomping at the bit for this. And so it was really easy for Hermione to persuade her and they just start trotting off to the Forbidden Forest and Hermione's really only plan is just to walk until the centaurs find them. And scream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just be as loud as possible to create as much noise as possible so the centaurs come up and find them, which eventually happens. And as we alluded to in our post on social media, Umbridge gets carried away after she insults them endlessly yes so yeah she gets carried away by the centaurs and then harry and hermione meet up with the rest of the crew and they're basically like well now how do we get to the ministry and all of a sudden the thestrals start walking up and then it's like well we'll take them of course (laughs) (laughs) well hi of course so yeah they're gonna climb onto some thestrals and go to the Department of Ministries, which is problematic for everyone except for Luna and Harry. This is a bit, I wish we could have had a little bit of more of uh, humor in the movie. Yeah, because Ron's like, uh, how the fuck are we supposed to get on this? Like, I don't even see it. So Luna had to, like, physically help all of them onto the thestrals. But then could you imagine, like, flying across England and like not being on something, but being not on something. Not seeing what you're on, and no. you're just like, I I couldn't do it. I'd pee myself. I think I would have rather did that than sit on a broom, though, because it it just seems like it would be more comfortable to sit on a horse-like creature than a wooden stick. I mean, I in guess. My opinion. But at least you know it's like under you when you're on a broom. I don't know. How about this? I would rather have a hippogriff. Yeah, let's just all get a hippogriff. Let's just all agree on that. I agree with that. So then they get to the Department of Mysteries, and (laughs) my favorite part is that Harry got a name tag that says Harry Potter Rescue Mission. Rescue Mission. But I just want to, like, ask, where the fuck was the security here? You can't just leave the Ministry of Magic just... Anyone can just get in at any time. I think the Death Eaters, because remember, at this point, they had infiltrated. Yeah. I think they really set this moment up so that no one would interfere. Like, you you know that Lucius Malfoy is probably like, oh, you can just go on your 10. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Or they, like, had people under the Imperius Curse and made them, like, not show up to their post, I guess. But that was just, like... That should have been a warning sign. Also, the fact that Harry keeps saying that his scar would be hurting much worse and that it hurt much worse whenever Voldemort was torturing Avery. Right. So, like, the fact that he's not feeling all of this happening, we know that Sirius isn't actually being tortured. So if he would just listen to these clues, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, again, rereading this, it really slaps you in the face that Harry is making a huge mistake. And yeah, I mean, leading all of his friends into danger. At this and point, he's... the rest of the order. He's literally leading a bunch of 15 and 14-year-olds to their deaths. Because they're not... I mean, Harry's barely equipped to deal with Death Eaters. These are, like, 50-year-olds. Right. Like, who have already been through a war. I mean, I will say, I think his head is, like, yes, he's very good at Defense Against the Dark Arts for his age, but his head is a little inflated because he's scraped by the, like, skin of his teeth from Voldemort a few times. Right. I mean, he's still extremely powerful. He just... Yeah, but he still doesn't have the training and skills and lifetime of experience that these people have. Yeah, exactly. So, no, they're trying to find the exact door that harry has gone through they're saying that there's some like weird ass shit down in the department of mysteries and luna's not shocked by any of it which i love every time (laughs) yeah there's so much shit there's the weird rotating room with all the doors that we don't really see there's some brains yeah the brain room and like the whole baby yeah there's just a lot of weird shit that happens in the department of mysteries it's a weird place it is a very weird place if warner brothers starts their own streaming service i would like a tv series just devoted to the department of mysteries same and the people that work there because that's those are some weird people you know it and i know it yeah it's like handmaid's tale down there anyway they finally get to his prophecy and he realizes that it has his name on it and he reaches up and grabs it and then from right behind them a drawing voice said very good potter now turn around nice and slowly and give it to me so he has also realized at this point that Sirius is not there and he's freaking right. out right he's like oh shit so then a bunch of de- a bunch of death eaters are surrounding them including it's 2 to 1 <laughs> so there's like 12 of them yeah yeah honestly though like it's a little bizarre to me that they do send this many Death Eaters to come and confront six teenagers. I mean, is that I think not weird to you? For no, I don't because I think for Voldemort, failure is not an option, and this I mean, is basically true. him sending an extension of himself because he wasn't willing to put himself there yet until he had to after his crew literally just can't get his fucking prophecy for him yeah i mean for all the shit we just talked on harry like he does manage to not turn over the prophecy Yeah. yeah anyway then we see bellatrix lestrange for the first time and she's honestly worse in the books than you could ever imagine her to be in the movies but he's absolutely refusing to hand over the prophecy and then shit gets real well, that's his only that's his only time-saving bargaining chip. That's yeah. his only thing keeping them alive right now is the fact that he has something they want. Right. But they get separated because uh, Harry kind of, like, sends a small message to Hermione to then send to the rest of the group to create a diversion. So they create this diversion and they send spells to, de- like, destroy a bunch of shit and, like, cause a scene basically but then they get split up and they're running and harry is with hermione and neville and hermione gets attacked and then so does neville and so really it's just harry by himself trying to you know get through it i mean he meets up with luna at one point and she's okay 
Uh, um, she's okay until she gets thrown into and, a table. Right, until then. And then <laughs> Harry's basically by himself. Um, Jenny has broken her ankle. Uh, Ron lost his damn mind. Yeah. And so then Harry finds himself back into the room that we kind of breezed over earlier with the archway inside of it with the voices and where everybody um kind of was standing around earlier before the whole death eaters thing people were walking up to the archway until jenny kind of had the sense to to be like hey come on let's go we're Um, on a mission here people yeah we don't listen to things that we can't see where the brain is remember So they are in the room with the archway and Bellatrix is trying to get the prophecy from him and she sends out the imperious, no, she sends out the Cruciatus curse onto Neville in front of Harry and then Harry notices right at this moment that Sirius, Lupin, Moody, Tonks, and Kingsley all arrive to help. So backup has come and... You know, I, Harry has to feel some relief at this point because he's like, I fucked up. But at the same time, he's like, Sirius, can you please go back home? Well, I, I mean, I think he feels relief that he, they have a higher probability of making out of this situation that he caused alive. But also, he has to feel extremely guilty because they're serious. Obviously, he's fine. Um, right. And now he's actually in danger. So that's my fault, too. Right. Yeah, I don't know. This This entire... This entire situation is just unfortunate. So, such a mess. Such a mess. Yeah. So they show up, and then finally, um, Dumbledore appears, and everyone has the whole ah moment. Like we're saved. Yeah. Thank God. And he literally shows up right after Neville breaks the prophecy. Right. So at this point you're reading it and you're like oh shit okay great i'm really glad that dumbledore is here but how is this gonna play out now right we have a chance and then we get one of the most heartbreaking and quick scenes in the books so sirius is dueling bellatrix and he is taunting her of course because that's what he does come on you can do better than that he yelled his voice echoing all around the cavernous room a second jet of light hit him squarely on the chest The laughter had not quite drained from his face, but his eyes widened in shock. Harry released Neville, though he was unaware of doing so. He was jumping down the steps again, pulling out his wand, as Dumbledore turned to the dais too. It seemed to take Sirius an age to fall. His body curved in a graceful arc as he sank backward through the ragged veil hanging from the arc. And Harry saw the look of mingled fear and surprise on his godfather's wasted, once handsome face as he fell through the ancient doorway and disappeared behind the veil, which fluttered for a moment as though in a high wind and then fell back into place. Harry heard Bellatrix Lestrange's triumphant scream, but knew it meant nothing. Sirius had only just fallen through the archway. He would reappear on the other side any second. But Sirius did not reappear. Sirius, yelled Harry. Sirius! He had reached the floor, his breath coming in searing gasps. Sirius must have be just behind the curtain. He, Harry, could pull him back out again. But as he reached the ground and sprinted toward the dais, Lupin grabbed Harry around the chest, holding him back. There's nothing you can do, Harry. Get him. Save him. He's only just gone through. It's too late, Harry. We can still reach him. Harry struggled hard and viciously, but Lupin would not let go. 
There's nothing you can do, Harry. Nothing. He's gone. Oh, God. Every time. Every fucking time. Yep. And of course, Harry doesn't believe that because he follows that up with, no, he hasn't gone. And he's not believing it. And um, he's saying, like, he is not dead. And then Lupin is dragging Harry away from the dais. And Harry's still staring. And he's now angry at Sirius for keeping him waiting so long. Right. Some part of him realized, even as he fought to break free from Lupin, that Sirius had never kept him waiting before. Sirius had risked everything always to see Harry, to help him. If Sirius was not reappearing out of the archway, then when Harry was yelling for him, as though his life depended on it, the only possible explanation was that he could not come back. So then Dumbledore had most of the remaining Death Eaters grouped up in the middle of the room and with invisible ropes. He had just basically <laughs> tied them up. Like, why didn't anyone else think of that? Oh, Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's just a genius. Like- owning it he's like okay harry is going through something right now i'm breathing internally but i gotta round up these bitches because we need to get the fuck out of here these unnecessary distractions um so we still have kingsley and bellatrix dueling because kingsley has picked up the duel where it left off finally harry's just not having it anymore and uh Mm -hmm. bellatrix stuns kingsley he has the ground and Harry runs after Bellatrix and yeah. Lupin tries to stop him and he's just like, she killed Sirius. She killed him. I'll kill her. And he was off running behind her and they run all the way back up into the entrance of the Ministry of Magic where Harry tries to perform the Cruciatus curse on Bellatrix. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't really work because yeah. Harry hasn't matched mastered that level of control and like harry doesn't and harry is just in the moment harry isn't the kind of person that would actually use that spell in any other situation i think he's just really caught in the heat of shit this bitch the audacity of this bitch she just killed my godfather and you know i need to react and i it's baby's first unforgivable curse, and he just doesn't very—he doesn't do very well. Because right. he's not and the kind of person. Think you, um, you have to mean it. You, she basically says, you need to really want to cause pain to enjoy it. Righteous anger won't hurt me for long, and that's really all he's running on. So, Bellatrix tries to give him a lesson in using unforgivable curses, but before too long, she finds out from Harry that. The prophecy is destroyed, that he doesn't have it, and then all of a sudden Voldemort shows up, and he's like, damn it, people, I have one thing that I asked you to do for me. (laughs) He's like, look, I was just trying to enjoy a nice bath, and you can't even get me the prophecy? I was busy milking Nagini, and I had to put that down to come here and deal with you bitches. Although he does know how to make an entrance, right? So... She's like, I tried, I tried, do not punish me. And Harry's like, don't waste your breath. He can't hear you. And he's like, can't oh, I? Can't I? Like behind Harry. Just oh, shows up. Shit. Chills. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I. He's a queen too. He's so sassy. And Harry's all like, but my scar didn't hurt. But my scar didn't tell me. <laughs> okay. Calm down. <laughs> That's anyway. the point, bitch. Voldemort controls you now. Yeah, so then... Uh, Dumbledore 
kind of comes and saves Harry's ass because Dumbledore, or Dumbledore, because Voldemort is trying to kill him again, like always. <laughs> Surprise! Shocker. <laughs> so shocking. Um, and then he gives him this iconic line: "It was foolish to come here tonight, Tom. The R's are already on their way." Dumbledore always putting him back in his place. So then they have a fantastic duel that's could only be performed by two like highly talented individuals who also severely dislike each other. Yeah. I mean, I think the I guess we'll talk about this. The movie did very well in this, but I do I wish that this. we could have seen Dumbledore having the various um, magical community creatures like running off either to like go alert people or to shield Harry or like using them in the duel. I thought that was really cool. But also right. the line where um, when Dumbledore is kind of talking to Voldemort before they start dueling or kind of at the beginning of their duel, Voldemort says, you do not seek to kill me, Dumbledore. His scarlet eyes narrowed over the top of the shield. Above such brutality are you? We both know that there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom, Dumbledore said calmly, continuing to walk towards Voldemort as though he had not a fear in the world, as though nothing had happened to interrupt his stroll up the hall. Merely taking your life would not satisfy me, I admit. There is nothing worse than death, Dumbledore, snarled Voldemort. You're quite wrong, said Dumbledore, still closing in upon Voldemort and speaking as lightly as though they were discussing the matter over drinks. So I feel like that is a really important moment just to point out that obviously there's a huge difference in philosophy here between Mm -hmm. these two people where Voldemort, we know his greatest fear is dying. That's why he's made his horror cruxes. He thinks that death is the end of everything. It's the ultimate loss of power. And Dumbledore obviously has a very different understanding of life where he's saying living and not having the things that are worth living for is worth than, worse than death. So I think that was just a very um, muted but important aspect there that will come back into play in the rest of the books. Yes, for sure. So then they're dueling, and then we get the possession scene where Voldemort comes into Harry's body, and Harry thinks his scar is literally going to burst open. He wants to die He's in that moment. He's begging Dumbledore to kill him. Which, you know, I'm honestly, this, I think, like you said, I think they did very, very well with this duel. The possession scene is very different in the film. It is, yes. And we'll get to that next week. But anyway, so Dumbledore obviously refuses to kill Harry. And I think this is honestly foolish of Voldemort because do you really think that Dumbledore is going to kill one of his students? Yeah, that was a miscalculation on his part. Yeah, you missed the mark there, sweetie. Um... (laughs) Brain's a little foggy from being half a or a seventh of a soul for so long. But then he thinks of he thinks of Sirius, and I guess the love he has for Sirius makes Voldemort flee his body. And then when he awakes, uh, Cornelius Fudge is there, (laughs) (laughs) being the dumbass. Uh, I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes, Minister. Yeah. I did too. Oh fuck! And then he's, he's back. He still tries to come for Dumbledore, and Dumbledore's like, 
actually, no. You're going to remove Umbridge. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, he tries to arrest Dumbledore. And Dumbledore's like, really, Cornelius? You literally just <laughs> saw that everything I've been saying is true for the past year. And you're going to come at me right now? Really? Really? He's like, I'll give you half an hour. Yep. And, you know, he was just like, apt, that's all you get. That's all you get from me. You don't deserve my time. That bitch out of my school, and I got to get back to my kids. <laughs> we got a lot to deal with and clean up yeah. back there. Again, the audacity of this bitch to even try to arrest Dumbledore at this point. Like, <laughs> Cornelius is the biggest bitch, I swear. <laughs> you are so <laughs> stupid. I... I can't with him. There's no other thing to say other than you're just a fucking idiot. He he literally is. He's just, he's a bit, like, he's just a scared little bitch all the time. Um, <laughs> but anyways, Dumbledore gives little Corny 30 minutes of his little time. Corny. <laughs> Makes a port key for Harry. Harry goes back to Dumbledore's office. He's on the inside of the office, and um, he's sitting there waiting for Dumbledore. The portraits are kind of talking to him, and Phineas is asking about Sirius, and Harry just doesn't, he can't say anything mm-hmm. until Dumbledore shows up, and this is where sassy Harry does not even begin to describe Harry. Mm-mm. He, I mean, I personally, I can relate to how... Harry is feeling just like the rage inside of him and the unfairness of it all and like I've had moments during my grief where all I wanted to do was just throw things and break things and make things look the way that I felt on the inside but I think it is next level when you're taking it out on someone else who obviously it's not their fault. I mean I definitely... I definitely understand where he's coming from. He just lost someone that he considers a brother slash father figure. And his last connection, besides Lupin, but his last really, really, really strong connection to his parents. And it's a lot to deal with. Plus, he just got possessed by Voldemort. Plus, he realized he just fucked up because he was playing the hero. Right. Like, he's also dealing with tremendous guilt because it is kind of his it's fault. It's kind of but his fault, Dumbledore right. Dumbledore also takes the guilt off of him by saying it's his fault. But he so. also is dealing with the fact that this is a man who hasn't made eye contact with him in a year after treating him like he was extra special. So... While I find it extremely inappropriate how he acts in this situation, just because you still have to remember Dumbledore is his professor, like he's still a headmaster of a school, right? He's still still his mentor. Like, you can be pissed at him all you want, but Dumbledore just saved your fucking ass again. But it's just, just this whole situation, though warranted, we are not, like, discrediting his grief, but... He's definitely taking it out on the wrong person. Again, he's 15. Right. But I think in Harry's defense, if anyone was sitting in the chair across from him saying, I know how you're feeling right now, Harry would have bitten anyone's head off who said that to him. Yeah, for sure. um, But I do think, you know, they, they have an enlightening conversation and Harry is just raging the entire time and... Dumbledore is basically saying, like, suffering like this proves that you're still human. This pain is part of being human. And He's a champion for mental health. I don't want to be human. I don't want to feel it anymore. I'm out. I've had enough. I've seen enough. I want it to end. I don't care anymore. 
that's just, you know, that is all just grief talking. And then um, he says he doesn't care what Dumbledore has to say. But then Dumbledore says, you will, because you're not nearly as angry with me as you ought to be. If you are to attack me, as I know you are close to doing, I would like to have thoroughly earned it. So then Dumbledore says that it's his fault that Sirius died, or that it's almost entirely his fault. He will not be so arrogant as to claim responsibility for the whole. And we get the lovely quote about Sirius being a brave, clever, and energetic man, and such men are not usually content to sit at home in hiding while they believe others to be in danger. So um, he basically is saying like he shouldn't have expected Sirius to stay put, But then he also says, nevertheless, you should have never have believed for an instant that there was any necessity for you to go to the Department of Mysteries tonight. Right. If I had been open with you, Harry, as I should have been, you would have known a long time ago that Voldemort might try to lure you to the Department of Mysteries, and you would have never been tricked into going there tonight. And Sirius would not have come after you. The blame lies with me and with me alone. So he kind of explains how Snape did spring into action after he got the message about Sirius and they had pleaded Sirius to stay home and of course you know he's not going to do that and then we learn about Creature being a double agent all of that and then we start to learn about the actual connection that Harry has with Voldemort and we learn for the first time that why he was placed at the Dursleys um, because of the blood bond that Petunia has with Lily, even though she may not want it, it exists and it's there. And it's really Harry's protection from Voldemort. And that's why, and that he didn't come to Hogwarts as a pampered little prince, but just a normal boy considering the circumstances. And while, yes, he did have to lead a pretty uh, abused life up until that point, which Dumbledore takes responsibility for, which I think is very, very, very important that he does claim that responsibility to Harry because, you know, that might also be a thing that Harry is holding on to for sure. Like who wouldn't be? And so he claims that, but then he explains why he did that, which I think is important. And then we get the big reveal. So Dumbledore is saying there was a flaw in his plan because he kept putting off when to tell him this. He didn't tell him when he was 11 because he thought to himself, he's much too young to know, even though he just battled Voldemort. He didn't tell him when he was 12 because, again, what that's not much different than 11, even though <laughs> he had... a year. Yeah, even though he had battled Voldemort once again. He didn't tell him when he was 13 because he didn't want to ruin the glory of, you know, triumphantly rescuing his godfather and sending him off into being a free man. Just excuse after excuse after excuse as to not tell him. Right. Until this year when, you know, Dumbledore owns that he was wrong for not telling him because he should have told him from the beginning. But I get it. But he also had the best reason not to because he loved him. And that's what he basically tells Harry is right. like, my the flaw is that I cared about you too much. I developed feelings for you. You know, like I care about you and I didn't want to upset you and hurt you. Right. And it's a lot. Like, could you imagine being sat down at 11 and not really having the relationship that he would have had with Dumbledore because, you know, they really had only known each other for a year and Dumbledore just laying this on him. Like, 
it would have yeah. been too much. Like everyone there really been like, is okay. no good time to tell somebody this sort of thing. No, there's really not. But then he tells him about the prophecy by showing him Professor Trevani in the pub. And, you know, it's a lot for him to take in. And Dumbledore explains that it could have been between him or Neville. And it, it's interesting to point out that Voldemort chose Harry and not the pureblood. He chose who he saw himself the most in. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a key thing to remember. And then Harry's like, well, it could still be Neville. It could still be Neville, right? And I'm really, no, <laughs> can we please make it be Neville? Like, can I, I opt out of this? scar, that little prickly <laughs> thing, the little annoying thing on your head? Yeah, that's actually you being marked as an equal. You are marked and branded now. Right. So, you know, then Harry comes to the realization that he's going to have to be the downfall of Voldemort, which I'm pretty sure he probably already knew in his head. He's the but chosen one. He just needed it to be said. So the end yeah. of the prophecy, it was something about neither can live while the other survives, said Dumbledore. So, said Harry, dredging up the words from what felt like a deep well of despair inside of him. So does that mean that that one of us has got to kill the other one in the end? Yes, said Dumbledore. For a long time, neither of them spoke. And then I actually love the way that Dumbledore kind of ends this conversation. <laughs> He's like, I feel like I know, owe you another explanation, Harry. And Harry, like just trying to lighten the mood a, a bit. But he's like, you probably are wondering why you're not a prefect. He's yeah. like, I feel like you had enough responsibility. <laughs> I really didn't want to add something else to you. So. And he's crying as he says this. Yeah. And I, it's just such, for me, it's just such a bittersweet moment. Like, yes, it, there's been so much tragedy going on up to this point. But I'm also just in awe of the human of Dumbledore and of right. him just laying it all out, bearing basically his his failure to Harry and knowing that he earns for him to be mad at him right now. But also he loves him so much. Like he's crying, telling him all of this. So right. we can, you know, get up in arms about Dumbledore leading Harry to his death and like raising him to die and all of this stuff but Dumbledore fucking loves this kid well and, and I mean uh, that was inevitable like yeah he had to be he was the chosen one like you can blame Dumbledore all day long till you're blue in the face but at the end of the day Harry Potter still Harry Potter and there was no other option it's there either, was no other option yeah we train him to inevitably kill or be killed at the end of this or we all just die Right. So, or this, yeah, this Voldemort is the takes only thing over. We can do. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is a lot to take in, but I think it's also very, very important to add in the line about how much he cares about him and have the him crying at the end because, you know, the first time you're reading this, and even like sometimes now you're like annoyed with Dumbledore for ignoring Harry, and you're mad at Dumbledore along with Harry. At least I was the first time I read this. But then right. you realize why, because he didn't want to put him in further danger. Because, of course, Voldemort's going to want to read the mind of the only wizard that he fears. Right. But then, uh, the last chapter, we're almost here, the second war begins. The Ministry and the, the Daily Prophet finally are like, oh, he who must not be <laughs> named has returned. <laughs> They're singing Harry's praises and... Saying how brave he is and right. kissing his he's, ass. He's the boy who lived again. 
Yeah. Uh, so and, um, Hermione and Ron are in the hospital wing. Harry's sitting on the end of Ron's bed as they're listening to Hermione read the front page of the prophet. Basically, it's the end of term. And they're talking about how now that Umbridge is gone and Dumbledore's back, everything's basically gone back t- to how it was before. And Flitwick got rid of Fred and George's swamp in about three seconds. And uh, he kept a tiny patch under the window and roped it off and said that it was just really a good bit of magic and he wanted to keep it. <laughs> and then Harry kind of has this this idea that possibly Sirius could come back as a ghost. So instead of going straight to the farewell feast, he goes and tries to track down Nearly Headless Nick and ask him about being a ghost, which we kind of talked about last week. Nick turned away from the window and looked mournfully at Harry. He won't come back. Who? Sirius Black. But you did. You came back. You're dead and you didn't disappear. Wizards can leave an imprint of themselves upon the earth to walk palely where their living souls once trod, said Nick miserably, but very few wizards choose that path. So basically, Nick just kind of shot the dial and Harry's back to how he was feeling before. He keeps like trying to find these glimmers of hope of seeing Sirius again. Like he went to the mirror or he tried to use the mirror once he found it when he was packing and that didn't work. And then he goes to Nick and tries to think of a way to see Sirius and then he's walking in the hallway, and he comes upon Luna. One of my favorite moments. She's saying that she's lost most of her possessions, and people take them and hide them, you know? But as it's the last night, I really do need them back, so I've been putting up signs. And um, so Harry feels pretty sorry for Luna. and He's moment. actually starting to, like, I think, see that... Like who Luna is and how see great of a person Luna's she is. character. Yeah, I think for a long time because no, Harry's not a bully, but he still does think she's weird, right? Yeah, I mean yeah. she is weird, and but I think this how she handles that. She's like, yeah, it's really not a big deal. I just really need him back because like I'm about to peace out, and he's like, oh, okay. Well, can I help you look like again? Because yeah. that's who Harry and Potter think- is. She also understands him on a level that his friends don't. Like, she has experienced loss. She sees the thresholds like he does. She understands why he doesn't want to be at the feast. At the very end of the series, she's like, if I were you, I'd be feeling like I needed to get out of here and have some alone time, am I right? So, at this moment, she is basically saying, you know, Jenny told me that Sirius was your godfather, and I totally get that you wouldn't want to be in the feast. And um, Harry asked her, if she knew anyone who had died, and she said, yes, my mother. She was quite an extraordinary witch, you know, but she did like to experiment, and one of her spells went rather badly wrong one day. I was nine. I'm sorry, Harry mumbled. Yes, it was rather horrible, said Luna conversationally. I still feel very sad about it sometimes, but I've still got dad, and anyway, it's not as though I'll never see mum again, is it? Uh, isn't it? said Harry uncertainly. She shook her head in disbelief. Oh, come on. You heard them. Just beyond the veil, didn't you? You mean, in that room with the archway. They were just lurking out of sight, that's all. You heard them. They looked at each other. Luna was smiling slightly. Harry did not know what to say or to think. Luna believed so many extraordinary things, yet he had been sure that he heard voices beyond the veil, too. And I just want to say that um, at this moment, I feel like in Harry's most 
dire moments, he does believe that because when mm-hmm. Voldemort was possessing him, he was filled with hope at the prospect of dying and seeing Sirius again. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, at this point, uh, she's just kind of reinforcing to him, like, I understand that you're feeling this grief and it's completely valid, but also, like, we're going to get to see them again. So. Yeah. It's only the end on this earthly plane, basically, is what she's saying. Yeah. And it's just a good moment for them to have. It is. It's a very, very, very good moment. And I think it's good for them to realize now, from here on out, that they're going to have that friendship and that bond with each other. And I think that's a good thing for them both. Um, But anyway, this concludes another year at Hogwarts. So they're on the way home, and Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle try to come and mess with Harry. The DA takes care of that. (laughs) They're not having that shit anymore. It's also revealed that Ginny's now with Dean Thomas. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. She's doing it. Um, (laughs) And then... (laughs) We don't know if she's doing it, but she's... Well, I didn't mean it like that. I just thought she's living her life. Whatever. And then the twins are there with Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. They're wearing brand new... <laughs> They're wearing dragon these brand skin. new dragon skin suits, living their Ugh. best lives. And then members of the Order of the Phoenix are there as well. And Harry's like, why are you all here? And they're like, well, we're going to have a word with the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. And so they basically threaten the Dursleys into, if you don't start treating him better, you're going to have all of us to answer to. And Vernon Dursley says, well, I'm not intimidated. And <laughs> <laughs> then Mad-Eye lifts his hat up and shows him his eye, freaks him out. And he's like, well, you kind of look like you are. On second thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. then um ron and hermione promise that they'll see harry again soon again i think that's them trying to make up for the previous summer which they had no control over but also to reinsure him that we're gonna be here for you no matter what and we will see you soon and you're not by yourself yeah yeah it's a lot another year gone another year gone this book (laughs) i think really dives into some important topics such as mental health and also grief the power of friendship and grief and it's heavy i don't think i realized how heavy this book is i think it's probably the one that deals with the most thus far i mean we say that all of these books are dense but this one really is i mean it's heavy not just weight wise yeah, not in the literal form. Like, it literally has, it packs a punch, so much of it. And I say this every time that I have a newfound respect, every time we reread these books and like them better and better. And I really do. And I think a part of me dreads going into Order of the Phoenix, as much yeah. as I hate to admit that, like, because I know the turmoil that I'm going to sit through and the aggravation that I'm going to suffer at some moments in these and the hate that I'm going to feel for Umbridge and I just know that it's kind of it kind of brings it's kind of like when you watch a tv show like if you just sat and watched Dexter for hours on end and all of a sudden like you're kind of feeling murderous that's like kind of this book for me makes me angry and and like a negative mindset sometimes and it, it's just like a task taking it on to read it honestly yeah, same. I mean, I think this is the one that I've read the least, probably. 
and I was dreading reading it because it's very I'm a very anxious person and it's very easy for me to take on other people's yeah. emotions and yeah. um I've been struggling with some mental health issues lately and so this book the right. last few chapters were this whole deep dive were very difficult for me to get through and I'm so glad I did though because again I feel even as an adult I connected with this series on an entirely new level and yeah, same while I'm not dealing with the same issues that Harry is dealing with I still very very much appreciate how JK Rowling approaches mental health and really serious issues and then my the line that got me when I was reading this was when Dumbledore reminds Harry that he's human and this right. is what makes him human and right. he is a champion for mental health and I think <laughs> that's just really 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 important that we have an entire series dedicated to that if you really want to read into it right so I don't know yeah. this book which is very special this time around. I'm very much looking forward to watching the conclusion of the film and comparing the two next week. But this is it for this week. So, as always, you can find us on social media at HP Half Drunk on Instagram and Twitter, and Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast on Facebook. And also, um, we have two groups. Actually, one is just for our patrons. So, if you've tried to join that one, we won't accept you, unfortunately, unless you are a patron because we do post some extra content in there. But there is a just Harry Potter and the Half Drunk podcast Facebook group. You are more than welcome to join that one. And we also have our website, hphalfdrunk.com. Yep, and you can find episodes on our website or you can find them anywhere you listen to a podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the good stuff. We also post them on social media each week in a link. So... While you're there, feel free to subscribe, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review, uh, send us a DM, let us know what you want to hear us talk about next, because before you know it, we're going to be done with this deep dive into the entire series, and we're going to be looking for some more content. So, right. anyways, um, yeah, happy November, you guys. It's crazy. Happy November. Have a good week. Cheers. Mischief Managed. Managed.